guys so far. They're from uh, Northland Baptist Church in Flagstaff. And we're friends with Pastor Miller there. All right, Matthew 17, and today we're going to look at this incident with Jesus. <clears throat> and if I give it a title, it would kind of be a long title, but we could call it When Jesus Did Something That He Didn't Have to Do. When Jesus Did Something That He Didn't Have to Do. So we're going to find that today in these verses of Matthew 17. And before we read it, just again a reminder, we're in the book of Matthew. It's describing Jesus really um, as a Savior, but also as a king, a coming king. He's going to die. He's going to be a suffering king first. And he describes that he is having a kingdom that's coming. In the meantime, it's a spiritual kingdom, which was a mystery to the Old Testament saints. <clears throat> but the existence of the church age is basically a, a spiritual kingdom. He's got a literal kingdom coming. But before that happens, he's going to die on the cross for the sins of men. And today, or these last few weeks, I should say, we learned of a, a transfiguration incident in Matthew 17 where the disciples, three of them, came up onto a mountain and saw just a, Jesus pull the curtain back of his humanity and let them see him in his glory. And then they came down and we saw that as they came down from the mountain in Matthew 17, they, the three disciples and Jesus were approached by the other, uh, the other nine disciples and a crowd of people. And this person who had this, uh, their son had a demon, and Jesus dealt with demonic uh, possession of this boy. We talked about that a few weeks ago, about the influence of demonic activity, and it's still real today. Demonic activity is still real. It's not just some, oh, this is a cute little fantasy thing I'm reading. You know, it's real. Now, in fact, let's back up. Let's pick up on verse 22. Jesus does, I think, probably a second or third reminder to his disciples about where all his path was headed. And then he shows, he gives them an illustration of how he uses his freedom. Matthew 17, verses 22 to 27 it says, and while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter, and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take, and give unto them for me and thee. Now, this is a fishing story here. 
It's an interesting one. And perhaps you've been like me reading this story, like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, well, yeah, Jesus get money out of a fish too. Hmm, what's next? You start reading the rest of the Bible. And there's something very important here in this little incident that Jesus shows us today. Um, what would you do? What do you do when you are free to do as you wish? You don't have to answer me out loud. Ask yourself, what do I do when I'm just free to do whatever I want? What do you do? You don't have to answer me, but think about it. You're probably like, well, Pastor, it depends on how much time I have. It depends on if it's a day, you know. Um, basically, in this country, in spite of all the whining, crying, throwing fits, way, 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 everything's unfair, we are very, 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 very free. Very free. Every color is very free. It's, it's, you're starting to feel some things choking in, particularly on Christian liberty, but we're pretty much a free people. What do we do? We're so free. Jesus here, we see the way Jesus uses his freedom. This is interesting. Just a, just a little snapshot of Jesus using his freedom the way he uses it. Now, let's just go right into this story, and we'll see what kind of where it's leading us. Okay, so Jesus here is, they're in Capernaum. So look what it says there in verse 24. When they were come to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, if you think of Israel, northern section, Galilee, midsection, Samaria, Jews avoided Samaria. Southern section is Judea. Jesus spent a lot of time in Galilee. Um, and Capernaum was a coastal city. It was a major city, coastal city. I think it was northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. A lot of, a lot of commerce there. I think the, a few of the disciples were from there. And so it wasn't a surprise that Jesus would be going through Capernaum. But when they're there, the, the, Jesus and the 12 disciples are in Capernaum. Apparently, Jesus is already in a house with perhaps all the rest of the disciples. Peter's somehow outside uh, uh, the house and um, a, a, a tax collector. And by the way, this is not a, and I'll explain it a little bit, but this is not a regular tax collector, but a tax collector comes up and, and approaches Peter and asks him about a certain tax. He says, um, does your, doesn't your master, he knows that Peter is a follower of this rabbi, Jesus, this master. He knows he's connected. He says, doesn't your master pay tribute? And Peter says yes. Now, when he asks, when, he's, when this man goes to Peter and asks him if, if Jesus pays tribute, the word there, and again, we could, I could run you around to some scriptures, but this wasn't just say, hey, is he going to pay the city tax? Is he going to pay the, the federal? That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about. The, the word that's used here is the word for um, half shekel. And everything, when you start studying some other scriptures, everything's pointing to the fact that this question is not a question of does he pay the regular tax of whatever, public tax, which Jesus would have paid. But he's saying, does he pay the temple tax? The temple tax, if we were to run over to Exodus 30, when Moses first <clears throat> had the uh, uh, tabernacle built, um, God told Moses to basically, for when you take a poll, you take a census of all the men 20 and older, all those men had to pay, once he, at least as it got started, uh, a poll, it was like a temple tax. They paid half a shekel. 
Rich shouldn't pay more. Poor shouldn't pay less. Everybody pays the half shekel. For it was for two reasons. God says in the Old Testament, Exodus 30, these men, these men, when you take the, they need to do it, it's an atonement for them. I mean, there's all kinds of offerings, blood sacrifices, meal sacrifices, all kinds of stuff that's supposed to atone for them. And by the way, later on, I was going to teach them that, boy, we're glad we got rid of those, all that work because Jesus' blood finished the atonement work. But God was showing them uh, uh, little symbols of atonement. One of them was, you men all pay a half shekel. It was for atonement, and it was for the maintenance of the tabernacle. That's interesting. I mean, we pay taxes to help maintain the Gilbert Roads and everything else and too many things, you know. But God had a temple tax, and the men 20 and older had to pay it. And it became where it became done every year. It was done yearly. They paid this tax, half shekel, half shekel. In fact, later on, one of the kings, you say, one of the kings reviving it because the temple was going in decay. I think his name was Jotham or one of these, or Joram, Jehoram, or one of these kings later on in Second Chronicles. He sees the temple is going to disarray. And he tells the priest, hey, let's revive this tax again. Moses told us to do it. Let's revive this. Let's start bringing in this money. So help rebuild the temple and you know, pay for whatever, all the things that, that relate to it the, and um, the, the maintenance of it. Some of the sacrifices were purchased through this tax. Israel went in exile for 70 years in Babylon. When they came back with Nehemiah, Nehemiah and some of the people says, you know, let's do that again. Let's make ourselves yearly do this tax again. We need to rebuild our temple. And so it wasn't like it was a strange, odd thing. It was biblical. It was a helpful thing for them to pay this temple tax. And so again, Peter's there um, outside this house, apparently. A man comes to Peter and says, does your master pay the, 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 the tribute? And Peter says, yeah, this is interesting. Peter knew Jesus. Yeah, he pays it. It's almost like Peter knows. It wasn't like, man, I don't know about him. He seems kind of like kind of a rebel rouser. Uh, he might pay it. No, he said yes. And the way it, the way it comes off to me is like he, there's a precedence here. Yeah, he pays. Um, Jesus was a good example of one who would fulfill his religious and civil duties. And by the way, later on in the book, when these smart aleck uh, people come to Jesus and say, hey, is it good to pay Caesar tax? I mean, he's this world leader. Should we pay him a tax? And Jesus said, show me your coin. Whose face is that? That's Caesar's. Well, then give him what's his and give God what's his. So Jesus wasn't even against paying the, the tax to the world leader at the time. So Jesus paid this tax. And um, Peter says, yeah, he pays that. And that's all they hear of this conversation between whoever this tax collector is and Peter. Peter begins to go into the house. And Jesus, oh, it's not like Jesus said, I wonder what he's doing out there. Who's he talking to? Jesus already knows the whole conversation that went on. So when Peter comes into the house, the Bible says Jesus prevented him. In other words, Jesus uh, uh he preceded, Peter was going to come in the house and say, Lord, we need to pay it. And Jesus preceded, hey, Peter, before Peter got to say anything, Simon, um, and look at the conversation. 
Simon, um, Jesus prevented him saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? What do you think? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? So, so again, you've got to follow this here. Peter comes in, and Jesus says, Hey, Peter, what do you think? What do you think? Do kings, when they take taxes, now the word, by the way, the word custom or tribute is more of a secular word that Jesus uses here. He's applying a secular practice of taxing. He says, do these kings, Peter, do they, do they go to their own kids and say, hey kids, you need to pay me for my administration. You need to pay me to maintain this palace. Boys, pay the tax. No. Or do they charge the strangers? And, and the strangers in this instance, is referring to when a king conquered a land. If you were conquered by a king or the emperor or whatever, get ready to pay taxes. He's going to charge the strangers, that is the, the non-citizens and non-family. So Jesus says, so Peter, or Simon, does, does the king take tribute from his kids? Or does he take tribute from... From the strangers. And Peter was probably like, this is easy. I mean, I'm kind of a bonehead sometimes, but this is easy, you know, instead of strangers. Peter knew that a king's not going to charge his own children. Again, you gotta, you got to unplug your American mind for a minute. <laughs> um, you know, you got a lot of monarchies back then, and families kind of had the benefit of whatever that king was doing uh, in a very exceptional way, and they got, you know, they're not paying for, they're, they're getting all the benefits of this king's administration. And so, Peter, no, no, the king's not going to charge his children. He's going to charge, he's going he's to tax strangers. And now notice Jesus' statement at the end of, of in verse 26. Jesus saith unto him, unto Peter, then are the children free. Children are free. Now, we've got to stop at this point and just pause a second. What is Jesus saying? If, if you're following this, you should be able to see he's making a comparison of himself, his father, and of kings and their children. And what Jesus is implying here is just as this um, man came and says, is your master going to pay tax, a temple tax for the house of God. Again, it's not a public tax. Is he going to pay a tax for this house of God? And Peter says, yes, he does pay that. Jesus is making the parallel to Peter that I'm the kid, I'm one of the kids. He's one, the only begotten, I should say. He says, I'm a son of the king. I don't have to pay this tax. Uh, it would be like a it would be like a king charging his children to maintain his ministration. Jesus is saying, "I'm free, Peter. I'm free. I don't have to do this." Now, every male twenty and older in Israel was obligated to do it, but the son, for his father's house, he doesn't have to pay that. He has no obligation to pay this temple tax whatsoever. He said. The children are free, unobligated. You can't make me pay this. 
That's essentially how far it could go. And then, but what, but what he's about to teach now in, the, in verse 27 to Peter, because he's still talking to Peter. He says, the children are free, Peter. Referring to himself. But what he's about to pe- teach Peter is this. Not how, Peter, let me show you how to get in their face and assert your right. You tell them, listen, pal, you don't know who you're dealing with. Watch this, Peter. I'm going to go talk to that tax agent. Don't you know I'm the son of God? I don't have to do this stuff. He wasn't going to teach Peter that. He wasn't going to teach Peter the American way. That's the American way. By the way, I'm not saying we we shouldn't uh, utilize our freedom. We need to use our freedoms for good, not for just selfishness. But Jesus is not going to teach Peter. Peter, let me show you. I'm going to tell this guy who I am. No, what he's going to do is something else. Let's Let's just read verse 27, and then we'll come back over it again one more time. Verse 27, he says, notwithstanding, in spite of the fact that I'm free, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, cast and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take that and give unto them for me and thee. He's basically saying, Peter, even though I'm free, here, go over there, do this, this, and that, get the tax to pay for both of us. What Jesus just did is something he didn't have to do. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to pay something that he... Now, we're Americans. I'm not going to pay any more than I have to pay. I mean, we get our little coupons out. We're like, wait a minute. I got this coupon and it says I get this free thing and don't you charge me any more than... you know? And we just will look over our receipts. I mean, we do. I do. I mean, I just got this free Panera thing recently. And like, I'm going to make all this, you know... Uh, they do the free Panera coffee or something right now. Like, oh, I'll sign up for that. That's pretty cool. I mean, we, we're like, I'm going to get everything I can, you know. And when I pay for something, I'm making sure I'm not paying a dime more, you know, or a penny more. What Jesus is doing here is something he didn't have to do. Just as he voluntarily set aside his liberty in order to accomplish a better purpose, so ought we at times. We, like Christ, have a significant level of liberty. Again, some of us are like, ah, I'm just so constrained. You have a lot of liberty, both as an American and as a Christian. We have a lot of liberty as Christians. Paul, let me give you a few words from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 9.19, he says, But though I be free from all men, I'm not bound to any man, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Paul says, no man's got an obligation on me. I'm free. I'm not a slave. But Paul says, you know what? Even though that's the case, I'm going to subject myself to men in the Jewish culture, in the barbarian culture, in the Gentile culture, and I'm going I'm to adapt myself. Read 1 Corinthians 9. I'm going to adapt myself to them so that I can better serve them and reach them by all means, save some. That's right where that phrase comes from. In other words, Paul had so much liberty, he said, but there's times he constrained his liberty for the sake of the gospel. So Jesus, he, he limits his, and we're going to, I think, see why. Um, when you are free to do what you want to do, what do you do? When you're free to do what you want to do, who do you care about? Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me. 
He's saying there's all kinds of things I can do, but all things are not expedient. doesn't mean everything's helpful. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let's, let's remember that verse right there. Let's all take that to heart. There's all kinds of things you and I could do. Realize that? As Americans and as a Christian, all kinds of things. But that doesn't mean you should do everything you could do. That's what Paul's saying. He's teaching us that. Remember that. Uh, Paul's saying, I'm not going to do everything I could do. I'm going to do everything that eventually has the net effect of edifying somebody. That's what Paul says. All right, but we can't forget Galatians 5.1. Paul does say, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. What he means in that verse is related to salvation. He's telling people back in his day, hey, you have been, you put your faith in Christ, you're free. Don't get entangled back in trying to keep Jewish laws and standards to achieve your salvation or to maintain it. Stand fast in your liberty. Don't get entangled in Jewish practice, uh, trying to keep God's law to maintain your, or achieve your salvation. Stand fast in that liberty. But then he says later on in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 13, he says, brethren, Christians, you've been called to liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. What he says. How we as Americans use our freedom reveals our true nature. How we as Americans use all of our freedom reveals what we're really interested in. Our true nature. For 200 years, over 200 years, we've been, you know, independent country, and and for so many years, we we thought as a country, right, we have so much freedom, and we planted so many churches in this country, and we still are. And we sent out many missionaries using that freedom, and we proclaimed the gospel and produced good literature, and. Um, We've impacted the world, but in, I don't know how many, I don't know where to start counting, at least the last 50 years, it's just become filthy. The literature we're producing now is like, we're probably the largest producer of porn. If I, if I would make a guess, and all kinds of stuff we're shipping out. I'm like, this is what we're doing with our liberty now? But anyways, let's take it back to us personally. <clears throat> let's look at this. Let's, let's just take instruction from this thought. When Jesus did something he didn't have to do, his actions reveal something very admirable about him. It reveals three admirable things about Jesus when he did something he didn't have to do. It reveals, number one, his sensitivity. Number two, it reveals his divinity. And number three, it reveals his charity. Let's consider those three. Notice verse 27. You see, Jesus is a sensitive person. Reasonably sensitive. He said, now I'm, the children are free. However, notwithstanding, even though that's the case, Peter, go to the sea. Um, lest we should offend them. Go to the sea, you're going to find, do this, this, and that, you're going to get the coin. Jesus said, lest we should offend them. Are you telling me Jesus cared about offending people? Yeah. Yes and no. That's really the answer. And that should be our answer too. Do we care about offending people? Yes and no. Depends on what it is. On a frivolous thing like this, it's not worth, you know, Getting in a fuss about. Um, so Jesus, so he says, he, he tells Peter, you know what, this guy in Capernaum asking me for the temple tax, I don't want to trip this guy up today. 
I don't want to cut. This, is, this isn't a fight worth having. I, I'm just saying, I think that's the, the, the mentality he has here. Just go to the sea, get your did, 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 and bring him to pay, let's pay this thing. He's sensitive. <clears throat> He's perceptive of people's needs. Perhaps he didn't want to cause an unnecessary stir about something that's not that crucial. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus, is. did he offend people? Absolutely. And it was necessary for some people. He was a rock. He was a rock of offense to the Jews. A stone of stumbling. When they saw Jesus, it was like, whoa, we, what is this? We can't handle this. We didn't expect the suffering Savior so humble and crucified. That's, they stumbled over that. So many Jews don't believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior because they're offended. They're tripped up at the thought of a crucified Messiah. What? That's an offense, but it's a necessary offense that needs to humble them so they'll cast themselves on that suffering Savior They'll never know him as a reigning king until they know him as their redeemer. So to Jesus, yes, he did. He, he, he would offend in the sense of his gospel, his, his person as a Messiah. So Jesus, let's consider the thought. Jesus shows his sensitivity. It's okay to be sensitive to other people around us, okay? You can take anything too far. You can be hypersensitive. You can be insensitive. But the Bible does say consider one another. Um, so Jesus says, let's go ahead and pay this thing. I told you that when we were in 1 Corinthians last year, around sometime last year, when we were in 1 Corinthians, we dealt with chapter, one of the middle part of the books, and Paul's talking about use of Christian liberty. And I brought this illustration. It was a very helpful illustration for me. I read Dr. Harry Ironside, the Bible evangelist and scholar, of 100 years ago, and he tells a story on how that he went to a, a picnic uh, with Christians, a fellowship of Christians at a park, and they were eating, and he was there, and he, um, you know, enjoying the fellowship, and there, what was there, he was delighted to see that there was a Muslim convert to Christ there, and that's exciting to see. He was delighted. This guy who used to be Muslim, now he's a Christian. He's there. He's fellowship with the other Christians at this picnic. And um, uh, the man's enjoying, this other Muslim convert's enjoying himself. And um, uh, he notices that you know, they have ham sandwiches. And he notices this convert um, politely refuses to take the ham sandwich and graciously refuses. Didn't make a big deal about it. Just, no, I'm okay. And Harry Ironside, not trying to harass him, but just going up to him and says, you know, you're, you're a Christian now. You're in Christ. You know you're free to, to eat this. Uh, you know, the, the, the dietary in the Bible, it's clear the dietary restrictions are lifted. You don't have to confine yourself to the... Because, by the way, Jews and Muslims basically have kosher diets. He says, you don't... You don't you, the, the restrictions on your diet are lifted in Christ. You can, you can have this ham sandwich. You're free to have it. And he said, he says, I know that. I, I know I'm, I can have it. He says, but um, he says, but I'm the, he says, I'm the only Christian in my family. And he says, so far, he says, I've had the freedom to go back home and talk to my family about my new life in Christ. And he says, with my mom and dad. And he says, what happens is, to tell him Dr. Ironside, he says, 
when every time I come to my parents' house, I go to the front door. My dad meets me at the front door, and he says, Hey, have those infidels taught you to eat that filthy pig meat yet? Before I come in the door. And I'm able to look my dad in the eye and say, No, dad, I'm, I'm not eating pig. And he says, and that right there gives me an entrance to my home and to continue to witness the gospel to my parents. Now here's a guy who gets food. He's like, I'll, I'll restrict myself from food if it means I have an open door to give the gospel to my parents. He's sensitive. Who do you, do you care? Let's, let's ask ourselves this. Do we care about how we're perceived? Again, you can go too far on that. Do you care about how you're, do you care about if you offend anybody? We should take heed to it. I mean, take heed how we use our Christian liberty. Again, there's, let me, let me, before we go to the next point, I want to make something clear. I've said it, but I want to say it again. My wife and I, uh, in 2008, we, um, we went to a, uh, um, I went to, it was like January, February 2008, went to a, just like a two-day pastor's conference in San Diego, and um, we rented a little PT cruiser. And um, that was kind of fun. And we went there. On our way back, we're coming down. I-10 is just straight and long, and there's nothing around. About, I don't know, we're probably 100 miles from here. Just I-10. We're coming east. We're coming back into Phoenix, driving on this little PT cruiser. And I'm in the, there's two lanes on I-10 going west there. Um, Pardon me, going eastbound. So we're going like this. But uh, I was in the two lanes. And or I was in one the left lane. There's a semi in front of me. I wasn't right behind him. I was a reasonable distance, but I was going to pass him. As soon as I changed lanes to pass him, I didn't see right in front of the right at, sitting in the road was a blown out semi tire. You see a lot of those on the side of the road there. If I tell you, see just like a, a graveyard of blown out semi tires. Well, as soon as I changed, I was right there. I mean, it was right there. I didn't. It would have been unsafe for me to just go like that. We would have been rolling or something. So it was just like right there, and I just had a split second. We just hit it right in the middle, head on. It hit the lower uh, section of this PT cruiser, like the, you know, it hit, crunched the bumper cover, and I think it did some damage to the radiator and just, and then I'm like, oh, man. So I pull over, and this is a rental. Yeah, I pull over, and we were in the middle of nowhere. You know, I'm like, the next road was like, it wasn't even like a name. It was just like some exit. I don't even know what it was. And it was way out there. And I don't know how we called dad or her dad or something. But anyways, we got a tow truck to come out there and get us. But that was, a, you'd say, an unavoidable collision. I just had to hit it. Um, some of y'all, anybody go do driver's school? Any kind of driver's training? We're embarrassed to say it. Some of us like, no. See, when I was a kid, the attitude was, I don't need that stuff. All those kids in driver's school, they don't know what they're doing. You know, that's how it was when I was a kid. All the guys acted like they already know it all. I mean, they played the video games. That wasn't that enough. You know, anyways, I actually did do it. Kevin did it. I did one, too. Uh, it was helpful. I actually did it at my dad's, uh, at General Motors Desert Proving Grounds years ago when they were open. And they had a thing just for the uh, kids of the employees, and we did that. It was a lot of fun. They basically taught me how to avoid a collision. And it was really cool. It was awesome because you had these big track, and you have a, a big pad that you could drive on as well. And, and we just do all kinds of crazy stuff with the car. But we were avoiding a collision with cones, okay? So that was easy. So they taught us how to avoid a collision. And it was helpful for me to learn how to avoid a collision. 
So there's in life, there's things that are avoidable and unavoidable collisions. Avoidable and unavoidable offenses. If you are a Christian and you live for Jesus, it's going to be an unavoidable offense to eventually. If we, have a, if we have an attitude of, like, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, I don't care who it is, that's an avoidable offense. You know, I mean, even like, you know, I sometimes get bad breath. That's an avoidable offense. I got some Altoids in my pocket. You know? If we have an attitude, again, a self-centered attitude as, as Christians, no, don't, you're going to run into something unnecessarily. You're going you're gonna to offend somebody unnecessarily. Again, if you live for Jesus, get ready. You're gonna, something's going to, in your road, you're going to have to hit it for the gospel's sake. You can't apologize for believing in Jesus Christ. You can't apologize for being a godly Christian. It's an unavoidable collision. But Jesus is sensitive to these that are, like, I don't need to throw this guy off today and everybody else and cause an unnecessary stir in Capernaum. I got business to do, training these 12, winning some other people, and I could get down to Jerusalem and die. Number two, it reveals his divinity. This is just an aspect of showing Jesus' divinity. So he says to Peter, go to the sea, cast and hook, take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. What? Now that's weird. All of that's odd. I mean, Peter, for as far as we know, Peter was a net guy. Fish with the net. I mean, he may have done hooks. We don't see it. But this thing, he says, Peter, get it, get it, go to the sea, get a hook. He didn't even say put bait on it. I mean, is that assumed? I don't know. I mean, he just said cast a hook. This is all odd. Peter's not used to throwing hooks out, empty hooks. And then the first thing comes up, he's got to fit. I mean, Jesus is, all right. Go out there and you pull. And so Peter did this, no doubt. Did it. Pulls. Oh, wow, I bit on a hook. Oh, Jesus said, all right, take the hook. Sure enough, there's that coin in there. And the language for this coin was double, was a full shekel, which paid for both of them. Now, so Jesus is basically saying, he's having this conversation. He's basically saying, I'm the son of God. I don't have to pay this but we'll pay it. And while we're going to pay it, you're going to see another evidence that I am the Son of God in the way you catch this fish. I like what Spurgeon said on this. He says, the Son, commenting on this verse, thus the great Son pays the tax levied from his Father's house, but he exercises royal prerogative in the act and takes the shekel out of the royal treasury. As man, he pays. But first, as God, he causes the fish to bring him the shekel in its mouth. So Jesus shows an evidence of his divinity and that also that as God, he stoops to do this requirement that normally he didn't, wouldn't have to do. So it reveals his divinity. And then last of all, it reveals his charity. Notice this. Uh, the middle of the verse, verse 27. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Talking to Peter now, to Simon. Take that and give unto them for me. Envy. He didn't say, Peter, you know, they're asking me to pay tax. Go get that coin out of the fish's mouth and pay it for me. And for you, <laughs> figure it out yourself, buddy. You know, you're like, oh, I don't know what you've been, per you've been putting your money, but, you know, I stole them in fish's mouths. No. He, what is he doing? He's, he's being charitable. He's bearing something that he didn't have to bear. Peter had to pay the tax, too. 
They said the tax was probably uh, around two days' wages for one. Um, the Bible scholars say it's probably around two days' wages, the, this half shekel. In this case, a full shekel. So Jesus is, what is Jesus doing? You know, you ever have somebody do that for you? Hey, man, lunch is on me. Hey, man, I'll, I'll fill up your tank. Hey, man, you know, somebody covers your cost. Jesus is saying to Peter, it's on me, Peter. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't need to, need to pay tax for myself. And I don't need to pay it for you, but I'm going to for you and for me. It shows Jesus is charitable. The Bible says charity beareth all things. Listen, there's some things that you don't have to do, but you probably should do to look more like Jesus. Furthermore, think about this. This is, a, this is just a small example of the cross. Um, he, didn't have, he, didn't die, he didn't have to pay for himself. There's nothing he paid for, for himself, right? This is the, the tax on our sin, so to speak. This is a, a, a divine requirement. The soul that sinneth must die. Um, blood must be shed. And so he said, he didn't have to pay this, but he does it for us. And that's the essence of this cross, is Jesus doing for you what you can't do for yourself. You can't do for yourself. You cannot make yourself good enough for God, no matter how good of a church you're in, how good of a person you are, how uh, smart religious, moral, whatever. You're not going to pay enough for God. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. This is a gift to us. When Jesus died on the cross, He's doing something for you that you couldn't even do for yourself. It wouldn't be enough if you were to do it. So the essence of becoming a Christian today as we think about the gospel is I put my faith in the, the Savior who died for me and when I put my personal faith in him, sincerely, not faith in him and something else, him and me, him, faith alone in Christ alone, not of works, then he accounts me as saved. So many of us in here have done that. If you've not done that today, it's as simple as a sincere prayer. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart what he did, that God raised him from the dead after he died on this cross. And the moment you do that, you'll be saved. But Jesus reveals his his charity and that he, he, he bears the obligation of somebody else. Let's remember this as much as we can, as reasonable to our commitments and our responsibilities, we are also to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, again, as we look at Jesus, the simple thought is, you know, sometimes I should do things that I don't, that I, I should do things for another that I don't have to do, that I'm free not to do. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 15 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Our liberty is to be governed by charity. There's a story of an old blind man who carried his lighted lantern at night. Now this is interesting. My father-in-law used to tell the story of a guy, I think he was a church janitor that was blind and he used to vacuum with a light on or something in the vacuum cleaner. They always thought that was weird. But the, all the other lights, no, all the lights would be out. That's what it was. In the auditorium, he'd still vacuum. 
But anyways, I digress here. Uh, thinking of my father-in-law's stories. Um, this lamplighter, he went around, uh, no, pardon me, he was just a blind man who went around at night, pardon me, with a lighted lantern. This is before we had city lights. And, but he walked, he walked around with it, and somebody said, why are you carrying a lighted lantern? You can't see. <laughs> and he says, well, to keep others from stumbling over me. <laughs> I don't want somebody else stumbling on me. And that's the idea here is along the path of life, we should do what we can to keep others from stumbling on us. I don't want to be an unnecessary offense. So let me ask some questions and we'll wrap this up. How much do you continue to fight over frivolous things that you could just say, forget it? I'm free to, I'm free to, uh, I'm technically right, but you know what? I don't need to keep fussing. How much do you continue to fight over frivolous arguments because you're technically right? Uh, another question. Are there avoidable offenses? Are there things you can avoid? Number three, do you, do you, just, um, do you just have the attitude, I'm going to do what I please, I'm going to wear what I please, I'm going to watch what I please, I'm going to eat what I please, I'm going to drink what I please, I'm going to say what I please, I'm going to attend what I please, I'm going to watch. Do you just have that attitude without the qualification of, wait a minute, did Jesus just do everything he wanted? Did Jesus, in other words, we have freedom, but there's more to our freedom than just using it for self. Um, there's things that perhaps you could do that are good that you don't have to do. I mean, think of little, you know, uh, sometimes I like it when my boys, they, they have their chore list, or things at least I verbally tell them, and they do something off the chart. I said, wow, you didn't have to do that. And then they can go, what are you trying to get out of me here? You know? And occasionally they'll just do something that they didn't have to do. They were free not to. So the closing thought is when we do something charitable, when we do charitable things which we otherwise are free not to do, we look like Jesus. When you do something charitable which you otherwise are free not to do, you look like Jesus. That's what we want to look like anyways, right? Let's thank him as we close today. Lord, I thank you for you and for this, even this little incident and snapshot of your life. And 